Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey folks, if you are concerned about the lurch of globalism, if you're concerned about the neo-Marxism that's taken over the world and is taking over politics in America, you're in the right place. You're going to learn a lot here. You're going to get a lot of information and you're going to get empowered by what we're going to do here on Off Leash with me, Mark Serrano, and my friend and colleague, Eric Prince. Eric, good to see you. Mark, great to see you. Welcome. Thanks for We're going to have some fun. This is going to be great. Indeed. We're going to reach people. We're going to empower them. We're going to take your expertise and my pedestrian knowledge and mix it up. Stimulate some thought. Stimulate thought. We're also going to hold some corrupt people accountable. Because yep. there's some crap going on right now that we got to expose. Indeed. All right. So before we get there, you just did a road trip. And I wanted to ask you about it because we were talking and you said you saw like a distinct difference moving from east to west going across the country. Tell me yeah, about I just that. did 2,000 miles in a U-Haul pulling a trailer and a truck. <laughs> and I can say uh, maximum compliments to South Dakota and Wyoming roads. They are by far the best. But literally as leaving Virginia, getting into Pennsylvania, terrible. Ohio, bad. Illinois, really bad. Um, you can you literally see the rot extending from these major cities in just even a lack of, of maintenance in roads. And believe me, in a U-Haul, uh, in a five-ton U-Haul truck, you, def- you feel every bump. Okay, that's impossible because we got $2 trillion in infrastructure spending last year. That can't be. <laughs> and and the, the same kind of corruption right. that... Uh, that Rots the rest of America. You see it in the in the roads as well. Look, it's a it was a great lesson to me in federalism that states matter. That individual state governments mm-hmm. uh, having uh, more accountability, much more so than the than the federal government, it really matters. Yeah, nice. Okay, so let's do this. I want to talk about your personal story, right? Because there's people that are with us watching, and you know they have different levels of knowledge about your background. Some people know nothing about it. So I want to start with your personal story, maybe. We start in, in uh, Michigan, and, and we'll end up sure. at Blackwater. I was uh, born in Holland, Michigan, to a um, uh, mom and dad and three older sisters. Um, my dad started a business built from scratch. 1965, started making die-cast machinery. And then in the early 70s, started making uh, automotive interior parts. The lighted sun visor, you get in your car and you tip the, the visor down and the little mirror with the two lights, that was... The company's patent, and they sold tens of thousands of those, eventually millions of those to the automakers, the digital compass, digital thermometer. So I grew up in a manufacturing automotive kind of household. Um, 
I, uh, I went to the Naval Academy after college, after high school, resigned after a year and a half, um, because I guess already in the late 80s, if you thought American universities were, uh, were tending leftwards, imagine one run by the federal government. Okay, that's important. We're going to come back to that, right? You, have, you already had a problem with government um, at that time. It was, it was creeping leftism nonsense already in the Naval Academy in political correctness uh, mm-hmm. already in 1988. Um, but I went to Hillsdale College. It's one of two in the country that accepts no federal funding. I, um, I got my degrees there. Uh, I was a White House intern before Monica Lewinsky made it popular for uh, George <laughs> Bush Sr. And that was... Uh, that changed the definition of interns. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then I got married, finished my last year of school, went to officer candidate school uh, for the Navy, got a commission, and then I went to SEAL training. Um, I'd always wanted to be in the military. And um, it was really while I was at the academy that I learned about what the SEAL teams were I love that community. Um, I think I was okay at it, and um, but then my uh, but, but any Navy SEAL that really shapes your identity, right? I mean, it you, was a you great, carry that today. It was a great test, and it was a great education that really makes you deep, dig deep down inside of you, yeah. and um, you kind of uh, viscerally have that "don't quit" attitude. Yeah. yeah. Um. But then my, um, my father died and my wife got cancer all within a few months of each other. And so I got out and really because of my father's success, well, look, a lot of special operations officers realized that there was a need for more training areas because you can imagine as bureaucratic and I would say user unfriendly as most government facilities are. Uh, that was especially the case in the nineties when you had a big peace drawdown and peace dividend. Um, but because of my father's success, I was able to not just conceive of a facility, mm-hmm. but to fund it. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know anything about government contracting or business or land development, but you kind of go back to the well that you know, and I hired a few other SEALs that I worked with, and that was really who started and built Blackwater. And, um, and, and so tragedy set you on this trajectory, unfortunately. Yeah, right? it was it was not... I, the blessing I, I had planned to stay in the teams for... 12 to 14 years, which as an officer are the best years where you can still operate and not be stuck at a desk. Yeah, right. And so I wanted to stay connected to the SEAL teams. I knew what they needed. And so build it and they will come. Yeah. And um, that's what led to Blackwater. That is totally what led to Blackwater. And uh, it was a big chunk of land in North Carolina. The logo came from, um, uh, we had a lot of bears in the property. And within days of putting in the power poles, they would rip their claws into the power pole, indicating bigger bear, higher up the pole. And uh, I, the phrase like Blackwater- in my memory. I can see the, Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. It, it was not logo. some high dollar Madison yeah. Avenue marketing firm that came up with that logo. <laughs> it worked though. It was, it was done over pizza and beer on, um, in, a, in an old $400 office trailer, which was dragged out to the property. <laughs> right. And the word Blackwater came from the, the, when the water would go through the soil, the peat, the organic soil, it would turn black by the time it made it to the ditch. And so our legs were getting dyed black as we were putting in the drain culverts, trying to build the place in the first place. So that's quite humble beginnings. And again, this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Because of my father's success, standing on the shoulders of giants, and he was yep. a giant, yep. I could do that. And, you know, I take my hat off to my dad because he risked the ability to feed his family when he started the business in 1965. He had nothing to start with. His success made it much easier for me. And um, that's true grit though, right? That's the American spirit. Yes. That's entrepreneurialism at its finest. You're yep. risking it all when you have mouths to feed. Right? Well, yeah, right. he had, my, he had uh, my three sisters and I came along much later. I was an unexpected blessing, let's mm-hmm. say. Yep. And um, Blackwater started and we started training uh, police officers and special operations units. And then uh, we really built, uh, we built a big mock-up of a high school after Columbine High School, because there you had hundreds of cops that showed up and no one went in and solved the problem. And so I think we helped change the paradigm in American policing to solve the immediate threat, to solve, to, to, to quicker solve the, 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 the terrible thing that became of all these mass shootings. So, that, so there's a theme. Once again, tragedy, this was somebody else's tragedy, sort of shaped your trajectory. Right? And we, try to, to, learn we try to respond very quickly right. and solve problems. And then the Navy came to us after the USS Cole was blown up. 1998? Yeah, October 2000. 2000. Was, okay. The USS Cole was blown up by two suicide um, guys in a boat, yep. killed 17 sailors. And the Navy had really optimized to fight at 100 miles, not at 100 meters. Yep. And uh, the sailors that were guarding the ship were holding unloaded weapons that they hardly ever fired before. Ugh. And it was so bad that in boot camp, the kids were shooting laser simulators because guns were considered unsafe. So the Navy, having a very rude awakening, came and said, we love what you're doing here at Blackwater, but can you do this in five or six more cities where all the bases were? Jacksonville, Florida, Groton, Connecticut, Bremerton, Washington, San Diego, um, and in Texas. So government turns to the private sector solution because oh, they, they knew it would be done better and more efficient. And, and quickly. And we had, the, we had the depth of instructors and the curriculum, and, and that worked. And we trained 100,000 sailors safely on a competitive bid contract. And then um, 9-11 happens. Yep. And uh, a lot of our same customers needed the same kind of support in training and in security. And we grew into aviation. And so the, the company grew very quickly. I reinvested every dollar that business made back into it. And we went from no aircraft in 2003 to 73 aircraft six years later that we owned and operated and flew in um, the rough places on behalf of the U.S. government. Okay, so that's a hell of a growth trajectory for any business, right? And, yep. and it was basically timing and demand, right? Timing, demand, and ability to execute. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess because of the, <clears throat> at the same time when I got out of the Navy, I took over my dad's original diecast machine business, mm-hmm. which made big machines and took it through a lean transformation and, um, you know, books like the Toyota production system and the goal were great in my kind of my manufacturing education to how do you make production process more more efficient and Mm -hmm. lay out linear flow and, and, uh, and all those things. And so laying out Blackwater, I got to thinking, what does the military do? It recruits, it vets, it equips, trains, deploys, and supports people to do a difficult mission. Hmm. And so that's really how Blackwater was laid out. Obviously, it started as a training facility, 
But as we got pulled into security and aviation and logistics and medical type support, we could recruit, we vetted, we equip, train, deploy, and support all in one stop shop. And so our competitors, which are kind of spread all over the country and kind of haphazard, no one had spent the money and built a facility, a machine to do that. And so we could be the low cost provider. We were extremely efficient at what we did. Um, but we were very good at what we did and so we paid the men well. You mimicked the government, the, the, the uh, Department of Defense sort of ecosystem, right? You mimicked it so that way you were more uh, aligned with them and their needs. I would not say we mimicked it, we improved on improved it. it. I would say- But you modeled after that. We know, look, it. the steps that have to happen, Yeah, we covered those, but we did it in a very vertically integrated, very efficient way. Yeah. And we measured what it cost each step of the way to do that. And so we could be the low cost provider. So what was that like? Just, you know, you talk about 2003, zero aircraft to 70 some aircraft, you know, a few years later. Yeah, what yeah. Was it that, was, it that was growth a, must have been wild. It was a, it was stressful time. And because yeah. if you're, if you're deploying a thousand, 2000 people and they expect payroll at 12 noon on Friday, yeah. then believe me, the payroll better be in the accounts of the men or the wives are calling you at 12.02. <laughs> Right. And trust me, that happens. Because they're handling the books while the guys are deployed. Yes, right? indeed. So these, so, are, so these are guys These are guys that are tightly screened, well-trained, right? Well-paid because they're doing very dangerous work. Correct. Right? So they, in all cases, they were uh, military or law enforcement veterans. Right. And so they're volunteering to serve again. Right. First, they volunteered to join the military or to become a cop. And now they're volunteering to go back to a dangerous place. They have extensive training already. We give them additional training that's specific to the job they're gonna be conducting. And the right gear and the right rules of engagement, psyche valves, criminal background checks, all those things are done. And now they get tasked and they're off to, uh, to support that government customer wherever they are. And yes, they're paid very well, but they're only paid for every day they're in the hot zone. The day they leave, their pay goes back to zero. So we don't waste the guy's time. We train them hard through a Friday, Saturday's off, Sunday they fly, Monday they're, they're in Baghdad, they're in Kabul, they're in wherever, working, and- Typical get, deployment time was what duration? Uh, 60 to 90 days. Okay, come back for a break. Come back for a break, see the wife, see the kids, yep. have a normal life. Yep. In some cases, we had veterans that would serve their summer break deployed, and they would go back to school starting September 1. Yep. So it, it was- it was a great model. It was really akin to how either roughnecks work on oil rigs or mm -hmm. even professional mariners. Mm -hmm. They get paid to go to sea or they get paid to be on the rig. And when they're, when they're off back home, their pay goes to zero. And so it was a yeah. extremely variable. It was good for the government because they didn't have all the legacy uh, insurance costs and all the other housing costs if the guys were off duty. So your personal story and your Blackwater story, I don't know, these are like really, really important building blocks in your life. And also, it, these are the things that gave you your, your perspective, your expertise, your understanding about globalism, about you know where the country is going to hell in a handbasket, which we will get to shortly. But before we do that, talk to me about the maligning of Blackwater, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, set the record straight here, because here you had this, I mean, amazing American success story you had the opportunity to finance it thanks to your father's success, yep. you, which to me is puts a burden on you, right? You had a legacy to uphold, but 
like that business had to succeed. Yes, I wasn't was, I was, to you. I was not, it was not going right. to screw it up. All right. right. Well, yeah. Here's the thing. In the Vietnam War, the anti-war left went after the troops. And in the Iraq-Afghanistan War, the anti-war left goes after the contractors. Because mm. of the changing nature of the DOD force structure, which was certainly not our decision, they found it very easy to go after contractors. And they loved to come after Blackwater and me because we represented everything they loved to hate. I was a white male Catholic married to a woman with a bunch of kids. I was the sole owner of the business. It was a defense business. And yes, our men were armed and we trained people to shoot and we trained people to be tactically proficient. Sometimes our men would have to use their weapons to defend themselves overseas. 41 of our men were killed in action doing that job for the U.S. government. But they were authorized to do so by the federal government. And armed by the federal and, government. And the Department of Defense. Correct. Right? 100% correct. So there's yes. a fine line between them. It was not some, and, it was not random people that we hauled off the street. It right. was proven veteran professionals that had already served their country admirably that went again after additional training. So yeah, it, yeah. so look, the, the anti-war left wanted to go after the, the Bush administration for the conduct of the Iraq war and we were the perfect target for them. And the Bush administration, being uh, weak political as that they were, certainly threw us to the wolves. Right. Well, for doing exactly what they asked. Right. We did more than 100,000 missions protecting State Department diplomats in all those war theaters. And not one of our customers was killed or injured. So you never lost a protectee. That is correct. Not 100,000 missions, never lost one. Correct. And... And, and the left loves to spin the line that the guys were trigger happy. And less than one half of 1% of all those missions did the guys have to use any weapons. So, and this is in a, in a place where uh, U.S. troops were being routinely roadside bombed or sniped or ambushed. And, and it was a very, very violent time. So there's, look, there's so many layers to that time period and the anti-war left and what they were doing. We'll, we'll do like a whole episode on this because... You know, they saw George Bush as the illegitimate president, right? The, uh, you know, start and the launch of the Iraq war was on, you know, dubious, you know, basis, uh, certainly in the eyes of the, of the uh, anti-war left, eh, in the eyes of a lot of people 20 years later. Um, but, you know, all of that was used to manipulate, to malign. Uh, and Department of Defense made this shift in sort of their force structure, right, that leaned more towards the contractors. So they, there's a lot had, there they, to unpack. They had gone from a massive uh, Cold War army structure to, to a military structure to one that was much, much smaller. And frankly, pivoting from a uh, conventional invasion force rolling into Iraq the way the U.S. military did. And then when you try to retask people that are trained to be a, an air defense guy or a chemical warfare guy, Trying to make them into a bodyguard or a police trainer is hard, and that's why there was a demand signal for contractors to support those kind of missions. And so we did a lot of training, we did a lot of aviation, and we did a lot of security support for the State Department and for the intelligence community because they didn't have the manpower, and DOD did not have the manpower to do that themselves. But the, so, so it's so it's, it's gap filling the same way. If you need a car for a weekend, you rent a car. If you go somewhere else and you want a place to stay, you can Airbnb it. You can, you can believe it or not, you can, you can rent security support and training and aviation and airdrop support and that kind of stuff from the private sector. If there's a demand signal, 
The great thing about America is the private sector will find a way to provide it for you. Right. But the political left in the United States, they needed an enemy. They needed a bad guy. Right. So it was the administration. It was Dick Cheney. It was contractors. And so Blackwater and you personally, you got attacked, you got maligned, you got mischaracterized. And certainly my 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 family's background in West Michigan as being a conservative Republican leading family and my sister. Right. Um, uh, and, and the, the DeVos family and all mm-hmm. the, sure that perfect, perfect target for perfect target for the far left to hate. Right. Right. And so, but the truth is you were a, an American success story and you were providing a needed service. Yeah. And, right? and, and, and a needed service that was awarded to us based on a competitive bid, <laughs> like 98 and a half percent of our revenue was competitively bid. The other one and a half percent is not something anybody wanted to do anyway. Right, 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 right. Okay, awesome. Yeah, amazing. Well, look, we're going to use this platform uh, to, you know, the the, the interesting thing of the Blackwater experience. It was a great honor to be able to employ thousands of veterans, and to be and for them to be appreciated for the skill sets that they had gained over decades of service to the government. Again, and I'll never forget uh, flying into Baghdad the first time. It was the only time the USG provided airlift for us to move our helicopters in. And so we had three little birds and we're offloading a C-5. And so this is the fall of 2003, 10 years almost to the day after Black Hawk Down happened in Mogadishu. And there was a bunch of veterans with me offloading that had been in Mogadishu for Black Hawk Down from the TF-160, from the, the finest helicopter unit of the US military. And they said, Mr. P, thanks so much for giving us a chance to do this again. This is what we're good at. And so great satisfaction of giving really professional level athlete skills the chance to do it again and uh, and again and again and again. And uh, talk about purpose. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Awesome. Okay, look, we're going to come back in a second. Uh, We're going to get into the swamp and how they're completely screwing up the appropriations process and losing all their leverage against the Democrats. Kind of next in just a minute. Imagine a technology company built to restore your privacy, not take it away. You and your phone are constantly bombarded with tracking, surveillance, propaganda, and digital attacks. Even big tech companies claiming to protect privacy create their own back doors. Unplugged restores what's been lost, starting with a messenger, a VPN, a mobile antivirus. The Unplugged app bundle gives you back what's rightfully yours. Unplugged. Restore your privacy. Hey, folks, back to Off Leash uh, with Mark Serrano, Eric Prince. So I want to talk about Washington and this fiscal, ridiculous fiscal mess, right? So we're at $32 trillion in debt. It's it's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And, well, you know, here's the way I look at it is Obama had control of Congress and White House the first two years of his administration, his first term, right? And what did they do? They ran the table on Obamacare, a great new entitlement. Biden administration controlled Congress and White House the first two years, and their game, their whole plan was spend like drunken sailors, which is not really fair to drunken sailors, spend like mad to all their constituencies so they can keep a permanent majority. That's the way I see it. And they wonder why there's inflation so high right now to the point that they're not even, they're not even they don't even report true inflation numbers anymore because right. they take out the cost of energy. Right, right. Well, you, you shut down the energy sector. And then you print, print, print money, right? Trillions, I mean, 
Look, yep. Washington's always been bad. We go, we go from friends. energy independence right. to now we have to import. Mm -hmm. And trust me, having just driven a U-Haul truck across country, <laughs> it was a $100 fill every four hours. And I... <laughs> Did you fill like eight times? I mean, that's yes. Nuts. It was expensive trip. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's totally unnecessary. There is all kinds of energy under the ground in America. But if the left wants to force through this green transformation to the detriment of most of the citizens, right. that's, that's, that's country-changing, revolution-level stuff that they're jamming down our throats. Right, but here we are. We're nine months in to this session of Congress. Nine months in. We have a majority. It, it was basically the footstop on the Biden administration and the far left and their outrageous multi-trillion dollar differences every year, right? Yep. So... What in the hell are we doing? They've got the opportunity to impact border policy, Ukraine spending and the accountability for that spending, the government, uh, the Department of Justice and their overzealous uh, persecution. Weaponization right? of, of prosecutions. Yeah. It, right. So we have a chance to do something about it any, with spending. Any, any normal American should be pissed off at the federal government these days. The Republicans have the solution to do something about it, and that is to make them spend less money. You can literally be the tourniquet to choke off so many of these extremely unhealthy things that the federal government does by not appropriating the money for it. Congress, the House of Representatives, has the power of the purse that they're not flexing it is disgusting. I Good on Matt Gates for trying to force the issue to just make, he's not trying to shut down the government. He just wants people to vote on one thing at a time. Congress can actually show up to work if they have to work six or seven days a week, fine, so be it. But vote on one bill, one appropriation at a time, and let people be accountable for the money that we are blowing. Well, by the way, so Kevin McCarthy pledged to do that at the beginning of the year. Eight, nine months went by, eight months went by without doing single subject bills. That's all that Matt Gates is saying. He's saying no more continuing resolutions, because here's what they do. They wait until the last minute. They've got their deadline coming up. They yep. roll it all up into another CR. Right? And they and throw, everybody, throw the funding over the wall and kick it down the road another six to 12 months. Right. And then members of Congress are not really on the record for any of this individual spending. Yep. Right. We have the full yeah. capacity Let to do that. each member be on the record for what they want to spend on Ukraine, what they want to spend on the Justice Department, what they want to spend on the, the rampant waste, fraud and abuse that is imposed upon the American people today. But here's what's different, though. This, things have changed in the last two years, things have shifted politically, right? Where they've abandoned any semblance of, of rule of law, okay? So we've got an out of control Department of Justice. This is the only way you affect that change. This is the only way, it's the only power, it's the only leverage we have right. is with the appropriations process. And now we're, it looks like we're probably gonna end up just doing, just like the debt ceiling deal. We blew that debt ceiling deal. That was our chance for leverage to turn it back on the Department of Justice. Why didn't we defund the Office of Special Counsel? Why didn't we defund them? Why didn't we like turn the FBI upside down and strip out funding from some of these, these yep. uh, their departments? A, a, a simple comparison. When the Democrats were going after the Reagan administration for some of the covert actions that the Reagan administration was doing to the communists. Yeah. Very simple. Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House back then, said, it's very simple. I'm withholding the pay of all the SIS level employees of the CIA until these documents are provided to us.
Sure enough, within two days, all those documents were there at the Capitol building. The Democrats understand how to wage power, how to, how to use power. The Republicans or the Uniparty appears afraid to do that. And until we get very gritty and willing to, to go toe-to-toe and to stop, and I'm talking, not talking about reducing, I'm talking about zeroing, zeroing out some of these grotesque federal agencies, we're going to have the same problems. Well, if you, until we run into a Weimar Republic level inflation, hyperinflation, and all the chaos that comes with that. Well, so look at, look at prop, the propaganda around shutdown, right? Oh my God, a government shutdown. So you know, what? What, how devastating that would be. You look back to the, uh, I think it was fiscal year 2013 uh, debate and the shutdown that took place there, right? And the same demagoguing was going on about how we'll be to blame for a government shutdown. Reality is, all those government workers, they get paid, even if it's back pay, right? Only, you know, essential services continue, right? Nothing stops right. in that regard. And yet, here's what I always try to remind Republicans. Excuse me, you took back control of the Senate in 2014 after you were responsible for one of those government shutdowns. There's no political consequence to a shutdown. Right. Hell, I think voters these days would love it. They'd love to see at least you're using your power and your leverage to try to affect change. Especially since the American people are suffering from inflation. From the, from the massive overspending of Washington. Remember, the five wealthiest per capita counties in the country <laughs> surround Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Washington does not suffer. The rest of America suffers. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if greater Washington has to suffer temporarily during a government shutdown, so be it. But the, the United States needs to go on a diet, and it needs to go on a diet very, very quickly. So I think the excuse that you know, Republicans will have is, well, we only have a five-seat majority, right? And so they're concerned about those marginal seats in, in, uh, in the Republican caucus, right? The guys in, in the suburban counties, oh, they're marginal districts. They won by less than 5% in the midterms last year. You know, we have to be thinking of them. It's, that's just, a, there's a, I'm sorry, there's a void of leadership there. We should be sticking it to the Democrats right now, particularly based on this lawlessness that they're responsible for. The lawlessness, the grotesque funding, and, and whether it's, the education uh, departments pushing all the transgenderism. Yeah. The reason there is so much going wrong in America is not done. It's not because it's what's being done at the state level. It's being pushed at the federal government level. And the way to make that stop is to cut off its money supply. Cut off funding. And that is what is in the hands of Speaker McCarthy and the Congress do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Matt Gates. Honestly, I think he's sort of like the lone voice yeah, in this good thing. It certainly sounds to be. Yep. You know, he shows a lot of respect to Jim Jordan and Byron Donalds, and those guys are usually fantastic, right? But he literally seems like he's the lone voice, and he's talking out there for, for the people. The Rand Paul of the, of the House. Rand Paul of the House, exactly. And there's no, no accountability whatsoever. I mean, that's, I think that's what makes people really disgusted. They don't, they don't understand the inside baseball. They don't, you know, the average person doesn't have time to understand sort of continuing resolution and, you know, single subject bills and that sort of thing. They don't have to really understand that. Well, it's see, we don't have old. a direct democracy. We have a republic. And so we elect people to represent our interests in Washington. And the fact is, most representatives don't really represent the interest of the people anymore. We have a Washington political class that throws all that money around, which is continually washed through the cycle. Congress appropriates money. The government spends the money, rewards lobbyists and a, a, and a business elite, which almost insulates those voters, sorry, insulates those members from the wrath of the people. 
and that you can you can manage that for a while, but that is an unsustainable practice. Yeah, I don't know. And I, it's gonna and it's gonna end really badly if it's not adjusted soon. I'll tell you, for for speaking for populists, you know, that we take a look at this and it is the same old game. We won the majority, we doorstopped the Biden agenda uh, and the extremism, and here we are, finally in that moment. I would say not even doorstopped. We maybe slowed it. <laughs> slowed it, right, right, right. We're a long ways from reversing it. Yeah. But the way to reverse it properly, cut off the money. Yeah. Lord knows, it's not like we have a surplus that we have extra money to spend. We're $33 trillion in debt. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. So look, one of the big, big issues that they should be using for leverage on this is the is the border crisis, the disaster at the border. I want to talk about that when we come back in just a minute. Imagine a technology company built to restore your privacy, not take it away. You and your phone are constantly bombarded with tracking, surveillance, propaganda, and digital attacks. Even big tech companies claiming to protect privacy create their own back doors. Unplugged restores what's been lost, starting with a messenger, a VPN, a mobile antivirus. The Unplugged App Bundle gives you back what's rightfully yours. Unplugged. Restore your privacy. Hey, you're with Off Leash and Mark Serrano, Eric Prince. We're back. So, uh, I got to throw some stats at you about the border, right? Because, I mean, this is, it's, it's so ridiculous how, you know, what frauds they are. They opened the border. Okay, and here's what here's what that's gotten us. So, fiscal year 2022, uh, border crossings 2.76 million, one year, right? So that is uh, now at a point of seven and a half million since Biden took over. Uh, and of those, 370,000 unaccompanied minors, and at least 1.5 million gotaways. Right, gotaways, as if they aren't just sort of giving them, you know, free uh, free, pass. free pass. Right. So, break it down for us. Lay it out. What are they really doing? They're looking to shift the demographics of the United States. It's either the Democrat Party seeking to attract more voters that are dependent on government, that come from countries where individual liberty is not a thing, where the things that made America what it is today effective with private property, with good opportunity, people that are coming from all these other places that are not coming to assimilate, but coming to, um, to enjoy the benefits of our welfare system and become largely dependent on a welfare system uh, means more votes for Democrats. And their buddies, their cronies in big business get cheaper, cheaper, and cheaper labor. Uh, so, you know, both sides of the Democratic Party win by doing it that way. And it's disgusting. And for the Democrat Party to say that they're in favor of, of advancing the interests of blacks or Latinos and all the rest, the blacks and Latinos that are here legally are the ones that get their wages crushed by having millions more illegal um, workers come across the border and undercut or, or effectively work for cash off the books. It is the way to destroy society and they're, away, they're well on their way to doing it. So all of which makes Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas a total liar. He's a complete, like, goes complete, before Congress, complete we have a secure border, border, and yet he knows damn well what they're doing. Sure. I've walked 
walked and driven much of the border uh, between Brownsville, Texas, all the way to uh, Tijuana. And there are places where the paths are extremely well-worn from the migrant trains of people coming across, and nobody does a damn thing about it. Perfect timing. Let's hit the map, okay? I want you to lay that out for me. So, obviously, that's up in the U.S., right? You've got Brownsville over in the, the eastern end of the Rio Grande. Um, look, the, the, the migrant flows is not just organized crime, it's industrialized crime. It is an industry run by the cartels where they make just as much money from importing um, people as they do importing drugs. And in most cases, they now double, double load because the migrants that are paying them to smuggle them into America, five, 10, 15 to $20,000 per head, also tasked with carrying a backpack full of narcotics. So the cartels are making blinding sums of money to the point of undermining entire Mexican society, and it's unabated. You have everything down here, the Darien Gap, uh, where people are walking um, from South America. There's an area there where you really only can walk, but it's a unending stream of, of bodies, thousands and thousands and thousands per day. And then there's all kinds of other points. In fact, just uh, this last week, I was contacted by an NGO uh, person I know in Haiti. And she asked if we could provide jet transport every day from Haiti to Nicaragua. I said, why on earth? He said, because Nicaragua is now accepting no visa requirements for Haitians to arrive in Nicaragua. I said, why would they be doing that? Because they can walk north. I said, there's no way in hell I'm helping you with that. But that's so, so again, you have an NGO um, representative in Haiti, funded by the US government, organizing migrants to come to Nicaragua Nicaragua, not a friendly country. It's run by Daniel Ortega, the same communist Sandinista that was causing all kinds of problems in the area in the 80s um, and suppressing religious liberty and free speech and all the rest in, in, in Nicaragua. Almost every cyber attack launched by Russia against the United States comes through proxy servers in Nicaragua. So we have an enemy country providing aid and logistics support to thousands or tens of thousands of migrants flying in to walk north. So that's an example, a microcosm of a very big macrocosm of industrialized crime, in some cases aided and funded by the U.S. government, by NGOs. So again, if Congress, if Republicans want to make a difference, if we're frustrated about this, stop the money. Stop the money to all these NGO, international organization of migration, people that are funding and organizing these trains of people I understand now we have 50 million people in the United States that are not born in America. 50. 50. Five zero. That's just the statistic I saw from Victor Davis Hanson. It's a staggering figure that is not, not conducive to survival of a society and what, what we're used to. Now you even have the, the so-called sanctuary cities like New York acknowledging they can't handle any more illegal migrants. Yeah, so that's, this is, I love this. Well, I, I love this. They all created sanctuary cities. And they said, we will welcome all of humanity in, into our city, into our town, right? And governors like uh, uh, Abbott and DeSantis and others said, well, if you really want to yeah. welcome this so much, they're coming your way. Good and it De hasn't stopped. And it was a brilliant move by DeSantis to right. send them to Martha's Vineyard. And those 
<laughs> into those, the, those into super the liberals, naval observatory in Washington. The, those super liberals could only <laughs> handle it for about eight hours, and right. they were flying them off the island already. <laughs> right. um, it, it's, it is a disgusting case of rules for thee, but not for me, that the, that the left passes and imposes on the rest of the country. The, the, the elites, the business elites, the Fortune 500 elites that want lots of cheap, cheap labor don't have to live with the damage uh, of, of the border states wrecking their societies of people streaming through their yards and the crime and, and the carnage it causes. The United States immigration policy should be a tall fence with a wide gate, meaning, of course, we want migration. We want immigration, but let it be controlled and let it be proper, and let's make sure we have the people coming here that will add value to this society, not be a drag on society. Yeah, what they've done, the administration has said, has created gate after gate after gate. I mean, they basically stood down, effectively. and, and They've removed gate after gate after gate. And can you imagine being Border Patrol in this environment? I just can't even imagine what those guys face every day. It's disgusting. They're, they're, it's it's got to be like peeing into the wind for them. It's It's absolutely counterproductive. So part of this crisis and this tragedy is, uh, you know, you've got the human tragedy, the, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking. I mean, I can't even imagine the, the, the human toll. Drug trafficking, with. sex trafficking, uh, organ trafficking. People even being trafficked for their organs. Okay, so explain that. Huh. A frightening amount of people coming across the border, in some cases, are being... Um, um, are they are they paying with their organs? You get across the border, and some you cases paying with their organs, and in some cases, if you can't pay a debt, you are uh, you are sacrificed, and and you'd be surprised at the amount of organ trade even in the United States that is illicit and coming from people that did not voluntarily give up those organs. Fentanyl. So fentanyl is coming across with a ten percent concentration level. Uh, in August, seventeen hundred seventy-three pounds of fentanyl, the equivalent of more than four hundred two million lethal doses, and eleven thousand five hundred five pounds of methamphetamine were seized. That's August, <laughs> enough to kill every American. Sure. Uh, last year, there was one hundred nine thousand Americans died of a fentanyl overdose. So, it is. There's there's plenty of proof available that the precursor chemicals are manufactured in China. Obviously, uh, oddly enough, not far from Wuhan, where the COVID came from. Um, those chemicals are shipped to Venezuela and then transshipped into Mexico, where it's fabricated into fentanyl and sent north. It is an absolute FU from the CCP, from the Chinese Communist Party, to the United States as, a, as another way of degrading our society and our good order and discipline. Okay. So, I mean... And, and, and Blinken goes to Beijing and says, well, you know, about fentanyl, I think they've, been, they've had some, some mistaken shipments that have gone to the wrong place, but it's not a, hey, knock it off, stop poisoning our people, stop killing 100,000 Americans, or what, 30 times what we lost on 9-11? No, he bought their BS. They offered some BS about, well, here's what we've done, we sort of stopped this and stopped that, and he said, it's okay, absolute, it's fine. It's, it's all fine. diplomatic bullshit. Right. So... This is just mind blowing. I mean, you know, it's not shocking. It's just it's it, it's it's the left. This is the neo-Marxist left. This is what they want. But it means they are in cahoots with the cartels. It means the Biden administration is cahoots with China, right? Because if they were really concerned about the fentanyl crisis, they would have done something. They are on the creating board. an environment for great success of the cartels in human trafficking and in drug trafficking. 
Yeah, to the detriment of American society. And here's what's important about those 109,000 deaths. Those are not, you know, shoot them up in back alley, uh, you know, drug addicts. Uh, those deaths are mostly accidental people who were taking some pill that was spiked. Correct. That they it's didn't already know been laced with fentanyl. Right. Exactly. Which, which speaks to normal drug trafficking does not try to kill its customers. The fentanyl and the way it's laced with normal drugs that people are taking, it's absolutely to kill Americans. That's fascinating. Because no, no vendor wants to kill its customer. It's an intentional covert action to screw America. Agreed. Although, let me tell you this. I, I've got, I know a guy who's, who does undercover work. And I said, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me where you've got the street dealer is, is killing customers. And he said, not necessarily. He said, we actually see sales spike after accidental overdoses because people are looking for that, that rush, that high. Now, there are accidental deaths we just talked about, right? People who don't know that it's a spike bill. Then there are people who are users who are actually seeking the fentanyl for that high, right? And so they actually get more of those customers. More of those customers come in after, after a death of somebody for a street dealer. <laughs> but, it, but in all cases, it doesn't belong in the United States. Absolutely. And it's absolutely inact inactivity by law enforcement uh, and by the administration to do anything, to do a damn thing about stopping it. So we know Mexico is doing it. We know Mexico government is complicit in the, in the transfer of it. And we even know that China is getting involved politically in Mexican, poli in, in Mexican politics in pushing and promoting the, the super Marxist female successor to AMLO um, versus um, any other Republican candidates. It's basically um, Chinese money supporting leftist politicians in Mexico, um, intel coming from the Russians, and providing even um, resources to the cartels to whack any of the conservative politicians. So we have to re watch Mexico. We cannot let it become a complete narco state because that is our, uh, that is our neighbor. And uh, what, what happens to Mexico will happen to America. God only knows what America will look like if we have four more years of this administration. I mean, what it, what it, it, it's incredible. The, the entire nature and character of the United States is about to change in five short years, Yep. if that happens. Last exit question on this thing. So among those that have come across, 160 individuals are on the terror watch list, right? In 2020 under Trump, there were three. 160 on the terror watch list. So it's just- And that's, the, that's, the, that's even the yeah, ones that they know about. That they know about. That not counting the tens of thousands that pass through without any uh, uh, observation whatsoever. Look, we have to spend a lot more time on this because I, I just, it blows my mind. I mean, you just gave us a just download of incredible data and perspective about the NGO, about China, China manipulating politics in Mexico. We got a lot to unpack here. So we're going to come back to this topic, I think, over and over again. Unfortunately, it's going to be, we're going to be reminded of it every day uh, as the situation spirals more and more out of control. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Look, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is fun. We're going to do this often uh, with Eric Prince. He's a world of knowledge and perspective. Uh, and we're going to be off leash with Eric Prince. See you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.